Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It is morning on January uh, the 28th, 2021. We're going to have a a really good, in-depth, deep, profound, and hopefully deeply miserable cultural show today. So to kick us off, I couldn't resist quoting a line from one of my favorite songs, A Day in the Life from Sergeant Pepper uh, by John Lennon, of course. And Lennon wrote, I read the news today, oh boy. And on January the 28th, 2001, uh, that, um, that line resonates particularly uh, You read the news today and things are really miserable. We're apparently still on the brink of a right-wing terrorist authoritarian plot. Wall Street's about to melt down. Uh, uh, The subreddit people are playing Wall Street at their own game. The, The coronavirus thing, of course, continues to be deeply miserable. The economy is awful. Uh, The Post today reports that 2020 was the worst year for economic growth since the Second World War. Uh, And even baseball is broken, at least the Baseball Hall of Fame voting process apparently is broken too. Quote another great songwriter, Bob Dylan, everything is broken. And I invited Mr. Dylan onto the show today, but I uh, didn't get any response. I got the next best thing, which actually I think is better than Bob Dylan. Uh, Alana Newhouse is the editor of Tablet Magazine and the author of a really interesting, provocative piece that I saw a couple of weeks ago from Tablet called Everything is Broken. Everything is Broken, uh, as Dylan sang in uh, uh, from his song from 1989 from On Mercy. Um, Alana, uh, you don't like doing video, but I told you it's like going to the dentist. You have to do it uh, and you need to do more of it because you have an important voice. Your, your piece, everything is broken. Um, what's it about? Uh, it's about acknowledging, um, the news. It's about acknowledging what looks like reality around us. So, I keep, we keep getting, I keep getting emails, people in my orbit keep getting emails from people who are shocked at the state of decay of, and here there's a very long list, the medical establishment, uh, the media, Wall Street, um, agriculture, big pharma, and they keep acting as though um, this shouldn't be the case. And I wanted to lay out what I saw as the reality, which is that if it looks broken, it probably is because it is. And a lot of uh, a lot of the landscape of our lives now, I think, needs to be rebuilt. Everything is broken. Let me quote, and and and, and you begin uh, this very 
I think very provocative, indeed, even profound piece with with a story about your newborn son mm -hmm. and the medical problems he was having. And you then develop a, a conversation with a doctor uh, and you said, you asked, was everything in America broken? Was education broken? Housing, farming, cities, was religion broken? Everything is broken. Uh, Alana, it, are there dots joining the, the this this brokenness, the thing that is defining America? Yes. Um, and I don't want to be reductive about it because each one of these each one of these um, precincts has their own very unique history, uh, and let's just assume we're talking just about America. But there's one big dot all over everything, which is technology. Um, we've digitized every aspect of our lives and imagined that we were going to do that, and it was not going to have massive social, cultural, and personal consequences, which it it obviously was always going to have them. We thought that it was just going to bring convenience and ease into our lives. And that it wasn't actually going to disrupt not only inefficiency, but also disrupt human connection and our ability to engage with the sensory world. And it is. And that the notion that we shouldn't look at that, I'm not a Luddite, I'm not asking for us to um, turn the clock back 40, 70, however many years. What I'm saying is, is like other generations that have gone through massive economic revolutions, we should look at this revolution and get on top of it. We should decide what parts of it we want to bring into our lives and what parts of our old world or our consistent world um, we need to retain. And that's, that's my argument in the piece. It's not that we should completely um, return to some previous time, but rather that we should think about what the next era looks like. You have, uh, Alana, uh, a word you use to describe this situation, um, and, and you connect it with tech. You write, the tech revolution was the match, one-upping the 70s economy, demanding more efficiency, more speed, more boundaryless, and demanding it everywhere. They introduced not only a host of inhuman wage suppressing tactics like replacing full-time employees with benefits, with gig workers with lower wages and no benefits, but also a whole new aesthetic that has come to dominate every aspect of our lives. A set of principles that collectively might be thought of as flatness. What is flatness, Alana? So, um... You know that feeling you get when you go into, oh, I mean, nobody's been anywhere new, I suppose, in a year. But when we used to go, let's say, to a new city you've never been in, and all of a sudden you'd go into a coffee shop, and it would look like the coffee shop in the city that you were in. You would have the same avocado toast, the same, you know, wood table. It would just, they all, everything would look the same. You'd have the same fig leaf plant. It all looks like it comes from Instagram. Um, maybe that, you've been looking too much at Instagram. Maybe, but so is everyone in the world. And the notion that things should look the same and feel the same globally um, is something that has been very useful for 
it's been very useful for what you can broadly call the technological revolution, um, which is to say, we make it easier for people to, it is easier now for somebody to get on a plane and go to Japan than it was 30 years ago. It is easier both actually to get on the plane, to book a flight. It is also easier to get to Japan and feel like whole parts of this new country are very easy for you to acclimate to because they look just like where you just came from. Alain, this uh, argument you make about flatness, of course, was made um, more than 15 years ago by Thomas Friedman in his It's a World, It's a Flat World After All, a New York Times magazine piece that got turned into a book in which he said in, in, in 1492, Christopher Columbus set sail for India going west, mm -hmm. blah, 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 like, uh, like Friedman always writes. Uh, the world is round. And then he writes, I set off for India 512 years later. I knew which just which direction I was going. I went east. I had Lufthansa business class and I came home and reported only to my wife and only in a whisper, the world is flat. What are you saying that Friedman didn't say in his book, The World is Flat, a brief history of the 21st century? I think that I'm, I mean, what I guess I would say is I think that my uh, interest in it and my, what I would like people to focus on is the aesthetic and sensory uh, aspect of this. So I feel, and then ultimately the emotional and intellectual consequences of that. I feel that there is, uh, if you just look at the world of music, for example, um, the music that we hear digitally has compressed, it's compressed in such a way that you basically, um, you've shaken out a bunch of the complications or the texture of music. That is absolutely going to create a completely different neural response to that music. Um, music is, we have a very, very specific brain response to music. It creates a different uh, environment in our brain. And when you simplify what we are putting into your, what you're putting into your brain, you literally take the exact same piece of music, but you listen to it in a different platform in a different way. Um, you're starving your own brain. And when you, um, this goes for everything. We basically, the only sensory input we're getting right now is touching this one screen on a phone all day. Well, let's remind ourselves, Alana, of that great song, Everything is Broken, which, uh, mm -hmm shares the title of your piece by Dylan. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use jiving, ain't no use joking. Everything is broken. He, of course, wrote that in 1989. Are you suggesting people can't write that today and there aren't songwriters of that quality or songs of that kind of profundity? No, um, I'm not actually suggesting that at all. What I'm suggesting is, is if you listen to that same song on an album on a record player, it will actually do something different to your brain than if you listen to it on iTunes. That's, that's my argument. My argument is literally we cannot take any of the music that humans have created, <laughs> which is a huge amount of amazing music and the music that we can still create. It will, it, it, it's like, Imagine if I took 
an apple and I took all the vitamins out of the apple and then I gave it to you to eat. It's, I guess it's an apple, but seems like it's missing huge parts of it and huge parts of what gives us benefit. I don't necessarily disagree with you, although some people might be listening and think this is a bit kind of elitist, Alana. Um, and I know you're not necessarily afraid of being accused of, an, of being an elitist. Uh, I recently actually spent uh, $50, uh, not on Dylan's Chronicles, but on Oh Mercy, the analog version by Mobile Fidelity. It cost me $50, the new the new old vinyl reprint, and and you're right, but most people can't afford to spend fifty dollars on 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 new vinyl reprints. Most people can't afford to have a high end vinyl rig. Um, are you suggesting that the beauty of the digital revolution, of course, is it allows everyone to listen on MP3 and on really perhaps soulless formats, but at least they can listen to the music. What's so bad about that? Um. So actually, I find this argument, um, my argument uh, actually has a deep strand of anti-elitism in it. Um, I believe that uh, actually most of us have been robbed by these technology companies of the things in our lives that uh, produced this good effect. Um, we were told to throw out all of our CDs. We were told to throw out all of our, all of our physical books. Um, it, this, the technology has made it much simpler to get a book on Kindle, um, than to order a physical book. Um, it, for, don't get me started on, uh, the effect of it on our libraries. So I am actually trying to make an argument in defense of people. If you're going to be robbed, you might as well be aware of it. Let's go back to another of the lines from uh, from, from Everything is Broken. Uh, Dylan writes, broken cutters, broken saws, broken buckles, broken laws, broken bodies, broken bones, broken voices on broken phones. Is it the phone, the personal phone, the smartphone that is most to blame for this crisis that you, you write about, Alana? I mean... I don't know. And there, there are actually probably much smarter people that, um, that could pull apart exactly um, the thread that you'd say that ties it all together. I suspect it is. Um, but, but, it's, but it's hard to, it's hard to uh, think about the phone and not think about the web it connects you to, right? The phone... Mm. On its by itself, unless it's actually making you wiring you literally um, into a different world, um, it's hard to talk about or think about. And like, so for example, I, I really do feel like let's just just as an example, just think about Facebook. I have a friend who lives in the middle of the country, and she over the last 15 years, became really, really active on Facebook. And she, I know it's a caricature, but she literally became a caricature. She gave up all of her friendships with the people who she actually had physically around her to join a bunch of Facebook groups with people who had these very narrow political ideas that she, she shared with them. 
And she felt she was joining a global community of people who could meet her on the sliver of her political outlook. I don't know. And now she's basically like, well, I don't know if any of those people, maybe they're all bots. And that's not, and it's like, right, exactly. So here you go. You got a, you got a thousand people, you know, many of whom live in Bangladesh and in Paris and wherever to agree with you on every single thing. Meanwhile, you actually don't know any of them and none of them would come to your funeral. I don't, it's not a life. Like live a life with three actual 3D humans. A day in the life, Alana. We have to go back to the Beatles song. You talked about um, uh, a smart person putting it all together. You seem pretty smart to me. But another guy who, who is very smart, who we have in common, is Michael Lind. He was on the show recently. And I know that you've been quite influenced by him. He's, he's recently become, I think, one of your, your main writers on, on, on Tablet. Um, you say that Lind puts the pieces together in a in a in a socioeconomic way. He 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 suggests that what the digital revolution has done is done away with those intermediary institutions that historically represent the richness, as Tocqueville and everybody else pointed out, the richness and uh, variety of democratic and cultural life in America, or at least. Uh, democratic cultural life in America. And we've had this reversal to a new kind of aristocratic cultural life. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I think that um, there's nobody smarter than Michael, uh, as far as I'm concerned, on uh, synthesizing not just the individual uh, strains of change, but how they coalesced and crashed into each other. Um, so, if you read Michael's piece in the wake of the Capitol Hill riots, he explained that the riots really need to be seen um, inside of context of what he sees as five, um, five tragedies in American life. And I think that it's a really useful way to understand it. Mm. And it, it's, it, it'll help you be smarter. Um, what I, I guess I would say is, is, you know, Michael's sense of things is, deeply rooted in history. And it's funny, like, you know, if you read Alexis de Tocqueville, de Tocqueville was so um, obsessed with local life in America. He believed that like the local local life was, and the fact that local life had power that would, that existed in dynamics with a national, uh, with national power centers was the key to America. So interesting. Mm -hmm. America both bottom up and top down. But it's not just Michael. I, I mean, my, I agree. Michael Lind is very good. And if you want to read more or hear more or watch more of Michael Lind, as I said, he just appeared on the show talking about his new book, The, the New Class War. But everyone is talking about this same thing, one thing or, or one way or the other. We had Jessica Bruder on the show recently talking about no man land, the transformation of the American economy from a proletariat to a precariat. We had the relatively conservative British writer Simon Winchester on last week talking about the the way in which the financialization of land is compounding inequality. We had James Sussman on talking about the corruption of work. We've had Daniel Markovitz talking about the end of the university system, uh, uh, Michael Sandel as well. So everyone's talking about these things. It's just a question of putting it all together. Alana, what I liked about your piece is you, as you say, you focus on 
the cultural crisis. And you suggest that this stems from the universities. You seem, even though you went to Barnard, which I've always associated with the Ivy League, you suggest that the problem can be traced back to the Ivy League and the universities in America. Is that fair? I think I think the problem is is can be traced back more to uh, the economy um, in two different ways. But I do think that the academy is a hub of a set of cultural institutions. And to the extent that those cultural institutions are misguided or even decayed, a lot of that comes from their relationship to the academy. Um, so that goes for museums and magazines and newspapers and a whole host of cultural products that, um, that, that, that receive, the, it's almost like the, the academy is the power center for those places. I have to quote this because it's it's pretty uh, uh, this uh, not this piece. The next piece is 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 pretty brutal. It says abandon the blighted Ivy League, please start a publishing house that puts out books that anger, surprise and delight people. Be brave enough to make film and TV that appeals to actual audiences and not 14 people on Twitter. Is that what you're doing with Tablet? Are you doing, are you, you eating your own dog food, Alana? Can I tell you something? I, I, I will go on record as saying right now that um, if anybody wants to give me the money to publish a print magazine or newspaper, I would do it in a minute. Um, Tablet was in, started natively on the internet um, 11 years ago. And we have achieved a certain amount of success online and we've been able to engage with the conversation online. But I do believe that it would be healthier for everyone um, if we read, I mean, there's, there's literally, there, I can't, the num at this point, there are too many studies about how differently we read on paper than the internet. We simply, we don't remember anything we read on these screens. <laughs> And it's very, very, very hard. And here's what I want to say about, I just want to say one more thing about Lind and about that piece. Mike Lind wrote that piece for us the day after the Capitol Hill riots. Everybody online was furiously, nobody was looking to their bookshelf for guidance on how to understand the news they were watching. They were looking to Twitter. And there was no guidance to be had. There was no historical rooting to be had. What Michael did was, was he sent that into that landscape and he sent historical grounding and a broader aperture out into there. And I think that that's the usefulness of digital publications. But I think that what we have to do for those of us running digital publications is we have to say that even though we are on these platforms, we're going to be perpendicular to flatness. We're going to try our best to make people be textured about their responses to things, to, to complicate their understanding of things, to make them more complex, not to simplify everything to um, five bullet points that you can tweet out. That's, that's, I think, the real burden and challenge and hope. It sounds to me, at least from your piece, that you want to return to a certain moment in American history, the post-war moment, 
which you describe as an American, uh, the, the, the post-war America of abstract expressionist painters, jazz musicians and writers and poets who created an alternate American modernism. Who, who are examples of these kinds of artists who you'd like to return to? I mean, there's, there's a, there were a whole host of post-war poets, writers, um, visual artists. I would not say that I want to return to that. What I do want to do is be inspired by them. So I do want to, I do want to actually say, well, and I, I try my best to get into this in the piece, but there's a lot more to say. And frankly, I want to hear from other people about it. If we take the good from the technological revolution, we take the speed, the accessibility, the, uh, the populism, frankly, of it. But we say we want to marry that with sensory information, with uh, real lived life. Like, can we use technology to make local life better again, not simply decide that it's dead? That to me is what I, I want to see people Rubik's Cube that and play with that idea. And I'd like to see people do it now. Like to, I, I want to see how people could imagine uh, creating something new now that would combine those principles. Are you suggesting a return to geography? That's a theme that we've had a lot of on, in this show, a return to the physical, not I, just I, to books and to movies, but also I, to the, the, the physical yes. space. I do. I think that um, I do, I think that phys we have really thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I think the notion that place is not important um, is belied by all human experience. <laughs> like when you go to a place, it changes you, and that notion that it doesn't is crazy. I, I, it just, it feels like we're leeching everyone's life of all pleasure and complication. And what I'm trying to do is say, do you remember when you went to the beach last time without your stupid camera and you didn't go just to take a picture to put on your Instagram, but you actually went to sit and smell it and feel it? And do you remember how good you felt for like two days afterwards? I'm here to tell you that that wasn't an accident. <laughs> you felt good in a place because places make us feel good. Well, how else can we feel good, Alana? Um, what we do in this show is, is get suggestions uh, from our guests on books that might cheer us up. I know you're stuck in Brooklyn, New York, uh, if that's the right word. Um, I'm in Berkeley, and Berkeley and Brooklyn not only sound the same, but I'm sure look fairly similar. Uh, what should we be reading or doing in these strange times in late January 2021? You know, I... I don't, because I think this is probably going to be obvious from the rest of our discussion, but I don't actually care what you read or what you listen to as long as you do it um, in a medium that is not digital. Just bring a little bit of non-digital life um, to yourself. So read an actual physical book. Uh, Dr. Seuss, go ahead. Like, I don't care. Um, wake up every day. I mean, I've started putting on perfume. I don't go anywhere. I don't see anyone, but I put on perfume every day just so that I can have some sort of sensory input. Um, I can smell it or I can <laughs> imagine smelling it anyway. <laughs> I just listen to a record if you can, not digitally. Um, yeah. 
But I, I owe Mercy from uh, Mobile Fidelity. It's only $50, but it's well worth it. Exactly, exactly. And just like, go outside if you can. Um, and if it's safe for you to do it, go outside, um, plant something, stick your hand in dirt. Uh, honestly, like pick a thing that feels easy that will bring you sensory pleasure and do it. Sensory pleasure. I think that's a, a, a perfect ending. And some of you might think Alana is a bit miserable. She actually isn't. She begins her piece <laughs> with the observation that everything is broken. It's an intimate piece that's very emotionally tied to the health of her newborn child. And the, at the end of the piece is actually reasonably optimistic. So uh, the, 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 the end of this conversation might not be as dire, as apocalyptic as it might seem. Uh, Alana Newhouse, the editor of Tablet, the author of a wonderful piece, Everything is Broken, almost as good as the Dylan song. I uh, want to wish you a very happy 2021. And I hope, I hope this is a digital interview. I hope it's not completely useless. But <laughs> at some point, Alana, in the future, maybe we can do a physical interview when this horrible virus goes away and we can get back on the road. So Many, many thanks and uh, remain healthy and creative and best of luck also with Tablet. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.